in a world in the year 2017 in a time of tradition in a city where anything can happen in a war that isn't his every day in new york city on the miami police force in the deep south and welcome back to the drive-in that's right it's the drive-in now on late fees i am your host justin here with eric pafif and of course dom our newest member so glad to have you back dom we're here with another week in a spooky month of movie conversations what's up y'all oh yeah what up <laughs> did you just crack the lacroix <laughs> open you i waited for a dramatic crack- pause you might need to crack more than a LaCroix for, the, for what I put you guys through this week. Uh, but of course, it is October. It is our spooky month. It's one of my favorite months to do this show. Not that any other month isn't our favorite, but this is my favorite because we get to put Eric through su- such a gauntlet just to see if he's going to make it through. And right before we, went rec- we started recording on this call, this motherfucker Eric said, in which we already knew he only watched one of these movies, he said, yeah, I got to bounce early. <laughs> This time I'm telling the truth. <laughs> I'm gonna get I'm gonna get Eric a T-shirt that says that. This time, if if, if you could track every single October episode of Late Bees we've had, I think two others. Yeah, Eric has not. He was not present last year at all. <laughs> he was completely gone last year, and then the year before that, I think he did Secret Jack O' Lantern, and I think Halloween. Or did we do Halloween yeah. last year? Nobody Halloween two years ago. Eric and Eric and Cam swapped halfway through Halloween yeah. because Cam had actually seen the new one. Eric, Eric you did. Eric, Eric. I saw the new one with with Justin, uh, the McBride David Gordon Green one, which I loved or I enjoyed. Uh, I uh, yeah, I, I've been burned, baby. Uh, ever <laughs> since ever since Sleepaway Camp. Uh, I've been out, man. I, I, well, I, hey, I, at least the, at least you came I, back on a good look. one. Yeah, no, dude, one that you I, loved. I, I, I was telling the boys, um, I, I I just started working on this project this week, so it actually is pulling me away. Mo- the other times I was lying. <laughs> the project. <laughs> the other times I was lying. This time I'm being for real though. So, so thanks, thanks for uh, telling all your adoring fans that you don't give a shit about them and <laughs> they subscribe to this show to hear your takes. But uh, thank you guys for, for listening. Of course, we are on the RNC Watch Network uh, where you can find such shows such as these and more shows coming up this fall. Uh, you can subscribe and, and, you know, give us ideas. Let us know what you want to hear on this channel. But today we'll be talking about the Hatchet franchise, a very big indie horror slasher franchise. Uh, Adam Green uh, is behind it. We're, we're going to get a little bit into that a little bit later. But since behind it's October... It. I, love, I, I love behind it like it's a caper. Yeah, well, I said, in, were you, we weren't even in camera when I said it. You didn't hear me. I didn't say behind it. The wireless. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, we're, we, uh, I, I believe that three of us this month are starting a 
horror movie 31 day journey uh one of us isn't you're you already tell which weenie <laughs> on the zoom call is not doing this this year uh but dom hey glasses <laughs> dom pat how are you guys doing on your on your 31 days uh, hooptober whatever it's called this year how are you guys doing right I'm doing great, actually. I, uh, I've been, I mean, you know, I have like a lot of free time, unfortunately. So I've just been like cranking through. I think I hit 18 last night. I watched 18, <laughs> of, my, I watched 18 of my 32 movie list. So already making like a supplemental list for when I run through these of like other stuff I want to revisit. It's been like a mixed bag, though. And I mean, I think it always is. If you're really going to try to watch like 30 horror movies in a month, the likelihood you're going to get more than like 10 really good ones is it's not happening like you're gonna so end you're up not watching doing garbage. it you're not doing it day by day you're doing it like literally just at your own leisure. anytime anytime i have time to do it i'm doing it because i know that there's going to be a point in the month where i get sort of sick of it and i'm not going to want to watch anything like yes. it hasn't happened yet but i know i'm gonna have a day where i'm like i'm not fucking watching this like that's well, not well, happening well it's it's funny because the, for the first time I, you guys have motivated me to make a list of movies to watch because in the past this is my fourth year doing it i think in the past i just kind of watched a movie randomly at night and i just did it but like this year has been so much better for me because i know what i'm watching for the night i'm able to take out the 80 90 minutes that i need to do it and it's actually worked out That's a lot the better best than part. Just, yeah because like there would be all types of problems when i would do this like i the stream wouldn't work or I, and i and the, and the thing is like when you do that you have to go to like your old faithfuls where it's like, okay, I'll just watch a Friday 13th movie because I have all the DVDs. I'll watch a Halloween movie because they're everywhere. You can, you can literally watch it for free anywhere. Or it's like, but this year I'm, I'm finding a lot more like cool choices because I'm planning it out ahead of time. And I'm actually kind of surveying the land and say, okay, I'm going to watch this this day. I mean, we have late fees watches. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch this that day and stuff like that. So I've actually had a lot more streamlined, uh, you know, time with this this year. What about you, Pat? Uh, I'm not kicking quite as much ass as Dom, but as of uh, Hatchet 3, I'm at 12 uh, for this month. I made a list of 31 and then quickly realized that I was going to be able to add a lot to it. So I'm aiming for closer to like 50 at this point. Uh, I don't know. And it's, but it's, I mean, it's been, it's put me on an even faster pace for my movies of the year viewing, uh, which is yeah. great. I'm about to hit 175 new movies viewed. So that's good. I, I will defeat you. You uh, will not I, defeat I, I me. Will I, will defeat I will win. <laughs> I will win. I will defeat you, Eric. Uh, Eric, what are you watching? Since you're not watching any horror movies whatsoever, you're completely. Let's let's just get this out of the fucking way right now. <laughs> I, I, I watched. I watched it too. I can I can correct the record here, and I know I'm sort of a, a pariah when it comes to horror movies, but pariah. As a as an elitist, uh, I prefer <laughs> I prefer quality over quantity. Which is why I started my Halloween with Hubie Halloween, and there will be there will be no competition. Nothing will surpass the quality and caliber of the Sandman going whoopie doo doo when he sees a skeleton. There is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the king is back, but he never left. Uh, let Hubie me say. As somebody who really wanted to love Hubie Halloween, I'm trying to convince myself to rate it two stars on Letterboxd. I'm trying so, I'm like, rate it, give it two, give it two, and I can't give it higher than one and a half. Oh! Uh, uh, it's, this motherfucker, it, Eric, gave it five stars, it. and I said, stop this okay, right now. Eric's, Eric's <laughs> rating system is no stars and a short blurb. 
one star because he hated it or five stars because he loved it. There's and, no... and I almost feel like Eric's letterbox when he gave Hatchet a half a star was a shot at us. Because I was like, this motherfucker <laughs> never, ever rates anything ever. And today he said, well, I'm going to rate it a half star. I'm like, motherfucker, you've, you've watched way worse movies than this and you never gave them a rating. I don't know. I... My rating system is very arbitrary because I think ratings are arbitrary. <laughs> this is but Pat, Pat, Pat was almost right. It's either no star and a blurb, which is usually like my three star or something, two and a half to three. A half star, which is for odious, irre, unforgivable, irredeemable filmmaking, like Hatchet, which we'll talk about shortly. Uh, or, yes, five stars like QB Halloween and uh, – <laughs> And us and um, you know, uncut gems, uh, uh, burn after reading—they're all the same. <laughs> I do that too, though. I don't like giving real ratings because it is arbitrary. I hate actually having to pick a score. It, so I have like nine of the thousands of movies I rate on Letterboxd have ratings, and it's always half a star for I hate it, and I hope the director sees this, and then five stars for this is ridiculous, but I love it, and then nothing else. So I think the only things that are rated are like Lemonade, like the Beyonce short film, <laughs> and like, like Stone Cold, Brian Bosworth, and then like Book of Henry. It's just like, it's just only like weird outliers. Yeah. Uh, the stars are kind of for me for when I go to actually rank things. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. I, I, and I think that I just come from, I think just my background, you come from five mics, you come from XL, double XL, M, L, you know, S, and then you come into wrestling where it's like, <clears throat> you know, you have five stars, you have two stars. It's like, I've come up around ratings my whole life. So like, it's, it's easy for me to be like, and I think it gets kind of unfair with certain movies where I'm like 20 minutes in, I'm like, I'm gonna give this probably two. <laughs> like, you can feel it. You just know you can already. Feel. Like, you can yeah. feel yeah. what it's going to be. 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's why I feel like I, I do get the arbitrary thing where it's just like, maybe if I just detached from having it be uh any type of score it would make it easier for me to just like like watch it for its own merits because I, I think i was watching project power and i said that's a solid three maybe to me it's just what i like about the movie. <laughs> i fuck with it and then but i'm just like maybe it'll it'll you know it'll change but like i i watched the uh, fade the black last night and i and i knew the score for this 25 minutes in i was like there's an, i already kind of see where this is going to end feel up the trajectory you know they're not going to like suddenly get better or suddenly exactly. like plummet Exactly. My version of star ratings comes from like, I like log my stuff on like Rotten Tomatoes and I don't want anyone inboxing me being like, you gave this seven, but you gave this a three. And it's just like, I don't, I don't remember. I, 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 these are completely arbitrary. It's never, I'm never going to have like an actual consistent scoring system. But I think it's funny Like we were talking before Eric got on the call, we were saying like, and talking about Eric's half a star review, we were saying like, you got to grade these on a curve. And I think that's what's funny about Letterboxd is that I could give a movie like, you know, for example, like, I think I give Halloween 2017 uh, fucking, uh, 2018 a fucking four stars. But that doesn't mean it's the same four stars as a, you know, another prestige movie that I might have watched before that I really fuck with, like a, you know, 20 Years of Slay, whatever the fuck that movie is, like, that shit. Like, 20, that 20 years, it's, it's going up. It's going up. <laughs> Solomon, Solomon's still there. I think, well, I think sadly enough, he he did get like recaptured after the events of that movie. Like it was it was not like actually the happy ending that uh, they gave to it. But yeah. but it's like you you grade these you grade these movies on a scale. So like when you see on Letterboxd, if you follow me, if you see my scores for certain movies, be like three, four, five, maybe possibly. I don't know. Maybe I'll give Tales from the Hood a 
three, a five five star review, who knows? But that doesn't mean I'm rating on the same thing, but it's all about a feeling. Like I I do do think that like, there is some merit in giving things a rating, but I also think that in in things like Letterboxd, it's it's like a status thing. It's like, oh, you like, you like, you gave it a five, I like it too. So that means I like you. It's like, no, that's not what it is. Letter and the letterbox is like one of the sites where like it it's not like the other social media where like somebody will post something that makes me mad and then I'm like oh unfollowed I fucking hate you on letterbox somebody will post a review that makes me mad and then I'll be like oh this fucking idiot and then I'll scroll two inches over and see one of their reviews that I agree with and be like thank you somebody agrees like it's 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 but it makes me think like oh yeah everyone can have different tastes and like actually I don't have to hate everyone for it and every other social media site makes me think. The the opposite, uh, yeah. but a lot, I think a lot it's, of, it's sorry. Go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, I was gonna say a lot. A lot of mine is like that same sort of sliding scale, but for me personally, because my my opinions on things change. Like, yeah, I don't want to give it this rigid sort of like this rigid rigidity to it. When I know, like, I, I've revisited stuff recently, and I was like, oh, I must have watched this in a bad mood the first time because this is truly enjoyable, or 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 the opposite of maybe i enjoyed it and then it, 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 it sort of yeah. uh, slowly decomposed in in favor but like there's my, a deeper... my, yeah there, there's, a, there's a there's there's always a little bit of irony and 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 hyperbole like with my five-star review of hubie but like it is so audacious and it becomes this thing especially with the sandler universe when he isn't doing the serious roles like meyerowitz or uncut or Pete, uh, you know punch drunk or whatever there's something that when the joke is so bad that it does this sort of like inverted like crescendo where it's like, oh wait, this is now funny because they thought that would be funny. Like that was so insane to put the paper that that is the funniest thing. Like there's a, there's a scene where he is talking to Kevin James, who's in a cartoonish, you know, Grizzly Adams beard through this much of a window. So it's just his mouth talking to, and <laughs> this I, part I was, was funny. I laughed I was like, at this part. I was like, why am I laughing so hard? It is like, it becomes this like exercise of like self, like self t- taste making or something. You're like, what, why am I finding this funny? And then it becomes funnier because you think about it. You, you find this funny for the same reason you found uh, uh, grown ups funny. That one time I walked in on you at 2 AM, uh, no shoes on, cross-legged laughing <laughs> eating jack-in-the-box at covered in, co- covered in jack-in-the-box sitting in the pit, <laughs> pitch dark uh pitch black dark eating like yeah chicken nuggets at three in the morning laughing my goofy ass off at grown-ups too just insane Kevin james uh, on a water slide speaking there, of there, movies speaking of movies that uh you should never ever watch or see before we hop into hatchet i saw antebellum last week oh uh, yeah modern classic uh you know i i was actually you know what dom i was motivated by your review i said you know what (laughs) can't be that bad right (laughs) dom said he hated it so let's see what all the fuss is about right (laughs) this finna be a breeze (laughs) so i turned it on within 20 minutes i knew the score and that's because the beginning part of the movie is a 20 minute slow camera pan through a plantation into slavery, which is like, this is not what the, the trailers has shown me at all. I think just an objectively terrible movie at all costs. Um, I don't want to get too too much into it because we, we got we to touch on three movies here today, but don't see Antebellum, especially if you're black. We're done. We don't need any more of this shit. There's enough. 
There is enough black trauma all over the fucking world right now that we don't need to see Antebellum. I think Dom summed it up best in his review. Go check it out on his YouTube. Uh, it, it's, it's terrible. It's a fucking terrible movie. So that, I think that's why I said it. It's the kind of movie I would have given a pass if I knew that it was like purposefully an exploitative movie. Like if like some black filmers, filmmakers made it too skewer the idea of the slave movie. But I saw an interview with the two guys that directed it and I know that they go to sleep at night thinking that they made something powerful for the black community and that makes it worse to me. I know those guys are like, they go to like, like wine dinners or whatever and tell people like, oh yeah, no, we, we actually got the same lenses they shot Gone with the Wind with and they're crap. And I just don't want those guys to like be happy for even like a minute. <laughs> I, I want them to be tortured for what they've done to people who've seen this movie. That's what I want. And, and I know we need to move on, but we, we got to, I wanted to say one thing. Kerry Fukunaga is my guy, but he has ruined film discourse because everyone came to their sort of like morals on Twitter during the first season of True Detective with how they engage with art. And everyone still thinks that a single shot is like, or a single take uh, pan, like whether it's like a dolly shot or whatever it is, a, a one is like the peak of cinema. Like if your movie is starting out with a one you're you're passe at this point. Like we got to move past. It has that. to like, actually do something. Like right. in that the shot you're talking about, it's it's amazing not only because of like how technically good it is, but because it's like there's a reason for it. Yeah, right. you're with a guy who's like, it's not it's not itself. Uh, you know, you're just it's not claustrophobic. For, you know, he's in a neighborhood, but it's claustrophobic what he's doing, and you're right. with him this whole time. It makes sense. Or like Goodfellas, like you're meeting all these people. It's like walking into a party. You can't just or boogie nights. You can't just do one and fucking do it. Yeah, it's too many people saw that and were like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my career. I'm like, yeah, that shit was hot in 2016, 2015. And it was a great director, like you said, elevating the thematic uh, uh, things that were happening on screen. Whereas it's like people can think they just do this like single shot and it's like high art uh, just off principle. I'm like, uh, no, we got we got to dead that. That's my, no, that's no. my review. Antebellum is very much not any of those things. Well, it's kind and, of like and, what you said if, about. If, if I'll drop one more take here, if I can, Janelle Monet. Nah. Uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> I I like. She can't her, elevate. Like, if she can't elevate, but but Eric, if she can't elevate this script, come yeah. on, man. Well, I think her talents as an actress are like not at that. You know, the actors fall into tears of like someone who's very good with the right direction, with the right co-stars, with the right subject material, and then people who come in and elevate material themselves. And Janelle's nowhere near there. Like she's really good in Moonlight, really good in Hidden Figures, and like little clutch supporting roles. But she's not like carry a movie on her back good yet. And I don't know if she'll yeah. ever get there. But we, there's, I don't, I don't think anyone could have been in this role like Lupita Nyong'o, whoever, and made it anything because there's just nothing to work with. But right. she was still working her. She was still working her Whoopi Goldberg, Color Purple, acting <laughs> in the slave parts. And I was like, "What? Did you get any direction for this? Or did you just watch the stage play of Color Purple? <laughs> you did this. I don't know. But you know, you know, that's enough about Antebellum. We're going to talk about much bigger and better things. I know Eric has has to has to you know lie and do whatever the hell he has to do <laughs> in the bathroom, whatever. Let's get into Eric some... called me a stain yesterday. <laughs> he just watched this movie yesterday. Uh, we're going to get into some old school American horror, as the box art says. Yes, we're talking about the hatchet slasher 
franchise. It consists of four films. We're only going to talk about three today. We're going to run through uh, Hatchets 1 through 3. These movies are directed by Adam Green. Uh, He is pretty much like one of the one of the most like I I don't know if I can say iconic, but one of the most well-known horror comedy, uh, you know, directors out there right now, right? prolific yeah he's, he made like 20 features i think or something like that like a lot for a guy like his age yeah yeah for sure he's 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 only 45 years old he's relatively yeah. young he looks young too yeah he's he's and, and he and, and again like he he has kind of he's kind of like spearheaded an independent movement within horror of course the horror bubble burst after the screen movies after slashers had went away we were in the middle like firmly in the middle of the torture porn era in uh 2006 when hatchet one came out this was what like a year after saw one uh, yeah, well, i think it was, it was three years after saw one saw one was what two, uh, 2003 i think so 2003 so this came out really kind of smack dab in the middle of saw mania then so yeah this was this was saw this was hostile this was teristas which i watched <laughs> i think it's my lowest rated movie of the year easily lowest rated what teristas yeah I was surprised you it's, gave it as high of a score as you gave it. I think I I think with Teresa's what I did enjoy was uh, not the camera angles uh, extremely close to Olivia Wilde's boobs, but I think I liked the the actual like the, the the attention to detail they showed, not the respect to Brazil, but the attention to detail that they showed to the area and the locations. It actually you just like wanted to go to Brazil, exactly, bro. Did you <laughs> see the director's comments? on brazil people being basically like snowflakes and being like it's, it is about it is an insanely racist movie <laughs> it's so fucking racist i what do i give like, and they what? hit it they hit it with the mexico filter so hard like, oh yeah. it's crazy it the looked traffic like traffic <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> but um but hatchet has none of that hatchet is is very much <laughs> Down home, gritty, almost VHS quality. If you were watching this on Amazon Prime Video, which all three movies, I think all four movies are actually on Amazon Prime. They are. First time I think we've ever had a situation where you can literally go watch all the movies for free easily right now. So easy. But we have Hatchet Part One starring Joel David Moore. uh, Who? Shout out to Joel David Moore. He was a grandma's boy. He was a grandma's boy. He was in Avatar. I like to call him a poor man's DJ Qualls. That's fucked he, up. He was in Avatar because he's tall. What a jarring career shift to do fucking Hatchet, which was shot on the first Samsung phone ever made, and then going <laughs> and, then, and then going on and being with James Cameron for two years on the Avatar set. Well, what, what, what I, I posit to you this, Eric. What if he saw him in Hatchet One and said, "I gotta have him in my." big budget franchise uh as i said in my letterbox review i think james cameron might have said watching hatchet i thought about hatcheting my own shit while watching this uh, uh maybe he did maybe he's like wow this kid can really maybe he did uh, maybe it, yeah you did press james cameron was too busy like well when was it 2006 yeah he was gallivanting with vinnie chase on the set of uh Entourage trying to get him to do Aquaman. Uh, but, yeah, maybe he saw my man, uh, what's his name, DJ Qualls' cousin? Um, <laughs> Joel David Moore? Moore? Joel David Moore. Uh, he was like, man, if this kid can, like, suffer in the, the bayous of Louisiana uh, for, for per diem, like, $50 a day or whatever he was paid, uh, he's, got, he's got the moxie to make it on the Avatar set. 
He yeah, saw I mean, he saw Patches throw the wrench at him. But I mean, oh, that's right. Hatchet, Hatchet did Hatchet did a lot of things right. Uh, it was selected for the 2006 London Fright Fest Film Festival. Uh, they 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 debuted at the Fantastic Fest in Austin. They sold out both nights. People were there was a lot of hype behind uh, behind Hatchet at the time. But the movie itself, it, it's a movie. <laughs> it, it is it is quite a movie. Uh, it is it is literally from the slasher vein. Uh, it, it is. It takes place in New Orleans. Uh, it, it is about the the undead spirit, or not even a spirit. He's just an undead motherfucker, just running around killing motherfuckers. Uh, played by Kane Hodder. There are a lot of old horror movie veterans that we will see throughout these movies. But within Hatchet One, we see Robert England in the first five minutes. How do you guys feel about seeing him? I was kind of surprised, but then I realized he doesn't. He's not exactly uh, picky with roles. Uh, or hasn't been on occasion. Uh, and I mean, you know, this was l- less than a day of shooting, most likely. Uh, <laughs> and on it looked like a set. It wasn't even like they were on like wind water or anything. It was just like yeah. A set. I mean, it might have been might have been like a, you know a lagoon set somewhere. I don't know. I didn't read anything about the the shooting in the movie. I did kind of like the. I mean, who isn't a sucker for the New Orleans uh, location type of thing? It's always good. <laughs> What what if you guys didn't know what year Hatchet One took place in? What year would you think this movie took place in? Oh, I would. Uh, I mean, definitely when it was made because it has. <laughs> it feels exactly like. It's not that the movie is like hyper realistic or anything like that, or like cinema verite, but it just has all of the like the pockmarks of that year, like the Marilyn Manson yeah. song, the shitty camcorder the guys carrying around like filming tits with, like everything about it is like carbon dated to that era. Yeah, uh, which we we love to see it. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, <laughs> if I didn't know, if I didn't know which Marilyn Manson song that was, I I could have pinpointed this to like '98, because like that that, that that camcorder that my man Freddie from Mad Men was carrying around, and uh, just like the sort of like background actor uh, sort of resurgence <laughs> that this had, <laughs> like it, it, I I'm I was truly dumbfounded because like. Something Pat said to me at Justin's the other week made me think this was just like a horror franchise that like actually had a good theater run and like had some sort of like grit and popularity to it. So it's like this was just as important as the Saw franchise. I and don't I think, think I said important. I would not have said that. <laughs> I, if you, I if you, I think you might have been, you might have been two mimosas deep. I think you did say that. I didn't oh. say it was that. It was not it. I, I, you know. Ah, uh, I don't think I said this. If I said it, I was wrong. I've been, I've been wrong before. All right. Uh, well, but, like, because when I turned it on, I was, like, even, like, Cabin cabin Fever and, like, early Eli Roth and, like, that pocket before, like, Eli and the Hostel and the torture porn movies really popped off. Those movies still looked like they had a sheen of quality to them. They were bad movies, but, like, they, you could see that there was at least a budget at work and there was at least a couple of familiar faces and players and either behind the screen or in front. I was like, what it like this? I said, I texted the group. I was like, this is like a, a student play. This is like a, this is like a mammoth play gone wrong or something. <laughs> I think, the, I think, I think that the comparison to stuff like the Eli Roth movies and all that is that those, the other movies from this era had, I think more like budget to work with. And they had filmmakers who were concerned about different things than what Adam Green is concerned with making this movie. Mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. other people were trying to make like good horror movies and like respectable horror movies, things that would make money. And I think Adam Green kind of understood. I mean, I don't know the guy at all, but like I feel like watching all three of these movies back to back, the one thing I think about his ethos is 
this is an era where this kind of horror movie was not getting made. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's like an under, underserved market of people that want to see cheesy gore effects. They want to see the slasher structure. They want to see annoying people get killed. And they don't want to see it in the middle of like Rube Goldberg devices of torture. So he focused on like the psychological need of that kind of horror fan. It's why each of these movies has big name horror people show up in the background. It's why they're so like badly written to the point of like abstraction. It's just like the, like the <laughs> inkblot idea of what a slasher movie is like. So I think they work on like a more primal level. Cause it's just mm-hmm. all the shit you want with like no connective tissue or theme or, or anything. It's just like, hey, people are going to want... I mean, the fact that it did so well at Fantastic Fest is because people knew this is the shit I actually want. I want to yeah. see a monster take someone's head off with his hands. I want to hear bad new metal music. And I want to just see, like, buckets of blood. And I don't want to see 45 minutes of a guy setting up a kill. I just want to see weird kills. And they yeah. also didn't want to... The only other slasher... Like, we think about when this was made, 2006, the slashers that were getting made at this time, it was... Uh, either it was like a prequel or like the third prequel of a a franchise from the 70s that had actors from the WB in it. Like it was, uh, you know, that stuff isn't good either. Uh, And I I just, I I didn't have the highest. We were three years removed from, at this point, Friday the 13th actually getting its own remake at that point. So like we we were very, very a long way away from these types of movies. even. And even that ended up being a one-off. Yeah, yeah. It, it it was it was it's crazy. And then you look at Hatchet, which I mean, we can all agree it, every single movie in this franchise has its 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 issues. I think the biggest issue here is like there there is quite a bit of setup before you actually see Victor Crowley in all of his glory and and doing things like there is a long period of time in this movie where it is just boobs, uh, a lot of jokes. There is one continuing part. I don't know if you guys remember this part where uh, Joel's character. Uh, and Dion Richmond, I think they're. I think their name is Ben and Marcus. They're walking yeah. up the block, and they keep talking about who has the most sex. And it's just like, when is this shot gonna end? Because they're all the way up the street. It was such and- a Woody Allen shot, too. It was literally yeah. like, like, <laughs> like Gordon Willis is at the corner with the right lighting, and everyone's just gonna walk and walk and walk, and eventually we'll cut to like a dinner party. Yeah, it was. It's so weird. Then you, then you have Tony Todd show, and he and Tony Todd ends up having like a huge role in this movie going forward. But Tony Todd shows up here for about five minutes. It was like a little cameo, like like Dom said, like there's like a lot Robert of cameos England. here. Yeah, just like Robert England. Uh, I think John Bueller, uh, John Bueller, whatever his name is, he, he's the guy who drinks his own pee. He directed uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Eight or Seven. He directed Part Seven. I mean, like, even Kane Hodder being in these movies is essentially a cameo. Yeah, exactly. Looking like Predator, fuck Toxic Avenger. Yeah, and, and th- I, I did appreciate that, that. There did seem to be this sort of uh, extended universe sort of connective, like connective tissue, as Dom was saying. But um, like with Tony Todd popping up and then, you know, I, I, going down Adam Green's like IMDb, like there was overlap just with some of the, I think some of the bit players and Froze, was it Frozen? Yeah. Frozen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I, I, I saw that, I saw that movie. Universe or something. Yeah, just like and yeah, just like sort of not homage to people we always see or always kind of associate with this with this genre. Um, I thought that was like a, a, a kind of cool part. I, I didn't know Tony Todd had a a much uh, deeper uh, connection to this 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 series uh, later yeah. on. He has part, part, an absolutely two, insane three. death, which yes. which like which is hilarious because at the same time he's doing that too in the Final Destination series, which was kind of running tandem to this run, which is like early two thousands to mid to, mid aughts. Um, well, I think 
the difference is that in the Final Destination movies, Tony Todd is lending like a certain kind of credibility to those movies by being in it, like his voice, his tone and stuff. Yeah. In all the Hatchet movies, every horror player we know is doing like, you know, the opening bit of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when he's talking about like, you're just going to diminish your value by making, like putting other new, new stars, like that pro wrestling psychology mm -hmm. of when you're an actor, you no longer matter, you exist to make new actors look cool. Yeah. Throughout this trilogy, Victor Crowley kills Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, <laughs> Candyman. Like, you know what I mean? It's like you, yeah. in every movie, he yeah. seems more formidable because you're literally killing icons people already know. That's a good point. It's, yeah. it's, really, it, it's really exploitative, but it works. And, Don, that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with what you said earlier, where he, he's not only fulfilling this function and in doing so kind of winking at his audience, but uh, substantiating the wink even further by doing what you just said. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I should bring this up. I should probably bring this up for the sequels because – a lot of these characters in some way, shape, or form, even though they die here, they return <laughs> in other movies. Well, I, this, um, was, this was one of my favorite gags, actually. Yeah, so uh, I'll t we'll talk about this in two and three, but uh, what did you guys feel about just like the main conceit of these people taking a boat ride, getting lost, uh, that whole setup? This setup takes about 45 to 50 minutes to actually do. Uh, you, you go through you go through Ben's breakup thing, and then they leave their friends, which I don't think they ever show up again. But he meets nope. up with he meets up with Mary Beth, who becomes uh, you know the main character of the series. And again, like epic Mary recasting, Beth, I, <laughs> perfect recasting. recasting yeah. I couldn't I couldn't not think about the uh, one of the friends who doesn't even get a speaking role before he fucks <laughs> off for the rest of the movie, where like uh, DJ Qualls. This is what I'm gonna call him the rest of the time. Uh, <laughs> He's like, how many, he's like establishing his character as like the somewhat responsible kind of the straight man who we're going to be rooting for. Why, you know, his stoner waste, waste face friends are, you know, getting fucked up at Martin on Bourbon Street. He's like, how many beers have you had? And it cuts to the guy. And he's just like, and then he walks away. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, like he'll probably, he probably was never in another movie again. But, um, <laughs> Uh, I'll well, Adam, just, uh, Green, I, I, Adam Green is one of the friends, which I think is funny. He's, that that might have been Adam Green then, shit. Yeah, he, sh uh, he shows up in every movie. That's funny. Every single one, yeah. Uh, so, all jokes aside, I was almost sold on the premise because I thought it was going to be a semi-chamber piece or at least like a one-location a one horror. Like they were going to be stranded on this boat. That's where I thought mm -hmm. it was going. I was like, okay, this is cool. Yeah, on, the, on, this, on this sort of plantoon, or pontoon boat and in in this grimy bayou uh um bayou yeah yeah uh, you got it i was like i have no, my brain is mush um I, I was looking forward to that i was like okay some some decent kills can come from this but then they immediately got off the the boat um which you know kind of was a disappointment but <laughs> you know the the mythos and stuff again like i i i i'm at to invest more in this franchise and see if it works by the end but well the, the mythos is the mythos is very flimsy in itself. And I think yeah. to me, I mean, we could just get into Victor Crowley route in it right now. He has a cool design. I think he has a very mid 2000s design. This is literally yeah. what people were into at the time. Like this is a movie of its time. I do think his mythos is too much like, let's throw in elements of every single thrasher slasher yeah. you've ever seen. Even he himself is like that. Yeah, like we have a little bit of Pumpkinhead with the, with the father angle. We have a little bit of Jason Voorhees with the parent angle. We have a little bit of fire with the Freddy angle. We have a little bit, like, a little bit of the, the deformity. That's Jason. Like, and Leatherface. He reminds me of Leatherface. The, the overalls. Like, I feel like, it, it, you know, as much as he does kind of kill his own idols in these movies, the yeah. amalgamation of Victor Crowley being literally everything to me feel, felt 
and you know to this day feels flimsy and especially in this first i think the first two movies it was kind of like okay this is this is kind of jason pastiche it's like kind of like he's doing too much jason shit here in the third movie i think he actually kind of comes into his own in a lot mm-hmm. of ways in creating what victor crowley is instead of just having it be you know you know how like in mortal kombat you have like the yellow the yellow ninja the blue ninja and then the old one in, in like mortal kombat trilogy you had the chameleon one that could turn into every single one of them that's yeah. what Victor Crowley is to me <laughs> in these movies. It's like, he's all of the ninjas in one. And I was just like, can we just kind of get one character on, on its own? In the, the first one... Oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. In the first one, the setup is so layered for no reason. It's very, like, hat on a hat. It's like, yeah, it, it takes so long to get to here's who's going to kill the people. And then when it happens, one character is like, oh, yeah, he's this legend. And the legend is so, like, there's just a guy <laughs> who kills people in the woods, whatever. Yeah. But the second one, it's like, actually, the legend is, like, way more complex. And yeah. it's, like, this big tragic story. And it's connected to all of these side characters who survived the first movie. It's, like, I remember thinking that, like, he must have finished the movie and was like, oh, that was dumb. I can just <laughs> add a bunch of extra shit now. Like, I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. Uh, I, I think the setup is good. Like, so in, in broad strokes, like, the way Dom was saying earlier, like, it fulfills a function. And so on paper, like... To, even if it takes 45 minutes of setup, if it were a more capable movie in terms of like building tension, it, you could get away with it being as long as it is until the first proper kill. But it's not really concerned with that. It's much more concerned with like the tits on the camcorder type of stuff. Uh, and yeah, it's just like it, it, Crowley doesn't really make, they, they kind of keep adding on to it, but there's the foundation of it doesn't really make sense, so it's shaky. Uh, it feels like an indie movie that someone added a killer to when they hit writer's block. Yeah. Like, they had a movie about a, a guy going through a breakup, and they got to page 50, and were like, fuck, I'm just going to kill everybody. Like, this is the only way out of the script. <laughs> I, will say, I, I will say I was impressed by the kills. Like, I was like, okay, this this sort of – lack of budget showing on every frame uh, of this movie like something has to compensate for that and i thought oh they're gonna spend all it on vfx or hair and makeup um and yeah just go all in on the blood and gore and I, it looks like they did some some of the i mean that opening swamp murder of the two uh bumpkins on the speedboat getting or the um the fan boat <laughs> two trump voters two trump voters <laughs> uh, two, two maga chuds getting their spines ripped out from that you know that, that was good you know, I, I'm I'm partial to the death when he pulls the guy's face with his hands and it shows like all of the the skin and yeah. new kind of ripping. I was like, well, because I I mean, full disclosure, I, I rewatched these again, but full disclosure, I watched two and three over the summertime after I saw Victor Crowley, but I hadn't seen one, so I wasn't expecting that level of of visceralness. I thought it was like, because you know, in like horror movies, it's like okay, the first movie, it was chill because they didn't know really what they could do yet. And the second and third yeah. and fourth, they was like, okay, let's go crazy. They start crazy here and they do yeah. get crazier. In the, well, in the I would movie. say the one really noticeable byproduct, even though it's basically a rejection of the torture porn era, I will say the kills themselves, uh, three aside maybe, in, at least in one and two, the kills feel very... Like, oh, yeah, these are uh, these are this grotesque because of the period. Like, we know that even though this isn't hostile, we know that it's going to be on literally on the rental shelf, hatchet hostile. They're going to be on the shelf next to each other. So we got to put some shit in this. Somebody's really, like, it's going to look like hostile, even if hostile is a person. 
Yeah, that that's a, actually a really good point. Yeah, there was definitely some some marketing sleight of hand going on. Like people are gonna accidentally pick this movie up, so let's uh, really swing for the fences here. I, I say the biggest sight gag that I, I like guffawed, and it's pretty early in the movie when it, it we are introduced to the flashback sequence where where we meet the deformity, uh, the, the, the deformed Victor. Crowley. The deformity. Yeah, the, I call <laughs> that, that's a cooler name than Victor Crowley. I will say that. Yeah. <laughs> the deformity. It, you know, it has this like sort of like a jib jib pan down as uh, the guy is cutting wood. I've I've never seen a, a bladed weapon so small used to cut wood. It was he was cutting wood. <laughs> he was cutting wood with like a kitchen knife. It was the funniest thing. Usually it's like a big a handle and you're slamming down. You know, like yeah, like fucking Freddy or uh, Jason or something. But, but uh, I think that's more so. I think that's more so to make Kane hotter, who who plays Victor Crowley's father and Victor Crowley. Um, to make him seem like way more epic, because if you've heard any stories about him, I'm pretty sure we could get Wes on here to talk about his his story with uh, with Kane Hodder. Yeah, he's he's very much a character himself. So like he like and, and and actually I do think we should we we could touch on that. Like we were having this conversation as well about uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween, which unfortunately Dom was watching. I have no That's clue why. Um, we were Bro, talking about House of a Thousand Corpses. Man, uh, it it was better than Halloween. Yeah, I would so say we, that, yeah. We were talking about the fact that the Michael Myers in that movie is seven feet tall. He was a former wrestler. He just didn't look the part, even though technically he should be the part that takes away from the mystique of a Michael Myers character. One thing I do like about Victor Crowley through all the movies is that he is like this short, kind of hunchback, you know, regular looking dude. Quasimodo motherfucker. Yeah, like he, he looks <laughs> yes. the part. He, he looks the part. And, and I think that that is like... The one thing that works for me, especially in this movie, like, like his design is a little bit like more, like I, I'd say unrefined. I think they refined it a lot more in the other movies, but I still think it works here because he does look, he does look the part. Yeah. Well, when you have a killer who has some kind of genuine supernatural origin, you don't have to make them. It's like, it's sort of like this idea in comics where people draw Superman as having like millions of abs because he's so strong, but he's strong because of, like, the sun, not because he works out. <laughs> so, like, ma- making him look like, like a bodybuilder, it's like, well, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be a bodybuilder. He'd look like a guy who has superpowers. Yeah. So I feel like in horror movies, like, if you have a character who is strong and unkillable because of, like, he's from hell or whatever, he can look any kind of way. You know, you don't have to make him look brolic for no reason, but, like... He doesn't, I he doesn't, don't they, don't, they don't need to look like Trump in a Ben Garrison painting. <laughs> But like Rob Zombie, his his Mike Myers. Like, what if Mike Myers was seven feet tall and had like long hair and like makes his own masks and like it just it was just, it's, just, it's just again hat and a hat. It's just like it's, it's because he wants to be the characters. Yeah, it's, it's like, like oh, what if it was me? <laughs> if I find out that Rob Zombie had his version of Michael Myers like family upbringing, that's really depressing. This is like his most Michael has movie. the long hair. Otis has the long hair in House of a Thousand Corpses. I know it's because Zombie has long hair. <laughs> So pathetic. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Hatchet ends on a pretty dour note, I think. Uh, ben actually ends up he ends up getting killed uh, on, on a boat. Uh, uh, take it back. His arm ends up getting chopped off. Well, his arm ends up getting chopped off. His, his foot and toe ends up – they have to – he has to – and which in a scene which I think is really cool. He, the, for some strange reason, Victor Crowley is a pole vaulter as well. He pole vaults a pole into Ben's foot. Ja- javelin, javelin. Or javelin into his foot. 
and uh, he brings uh, Victor Crowley into it, stabbing him through the chest. Of course, we know that's not the end of Victor Crowley, but he ends up dying with, with the boat, the boat gag. They do the, the Friday 13th boat gag. Like if there's any other, you know, homage that you would like to do, it's always that gag, but they flip it on his head. There's two people in the boat and Mary Beth survives. Uh, Victor Crowley comes out of the boat, grabs her and the movie ends. And we go into Hatchet 2. And after this, we will, we will actually go into break where we'll talk about Hatchet 2 and 3, two movies that literally go into each other hand in hand. If you literally were to cut out the credits, they're like one long ass movie. It's, it's about- epic watching movies that take place over two and a half days and were made over 10 years. <laughs> yes. but, it, but, it, but again, that idea was taken from Halloween and Friday the 13th. Yeah, yeah. Two yeah. through it kind four. Of, it kind of, I, I think it serves the movies, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we get back, well, actually, before we leave, because Eric will not be joining us for two and three, uh, are we keeping this in the video store? I'll start with you, Eric. I'll go first. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I, it did have its charms, you know, and you, you were absolutely right. My letterbox review was sort of a shot at you guys. Uh, it was me offering the hands. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I've seen movies that are, you know, shoestring budget, sort of like that, that weird, like you said, fantastic fest kind of indie um, creation. I, this didn't feel like anything like that. It lacked, I, I know Adam Green has made better stuff. Like I said, I, I've watched Frozen not knowing that was him. And I actually enjoyed that movie. I like the sort of man versus nature, descending into madness, uh, survival movies. Um, but this one didn't do it for me. Sorry, boys. Pat? I will say it's in, honestly, because of just what a specific reference point it serves as, honestly. I think that talking about the, especially mid-2000s, like 2000 to late to like end of Bush era of horror, uh, is a, even if it, though it's bad for the most part, uh, it's pretty like unique in why it was bad. And I think this is like necessary in explaining that. Uh, and, you know, I consider myself an academic. So, uh, yes, I will keep it in the store for that reason. All right, Don, what about you? I would keep it only because I'm going to end up keeping the other ones too, and you kind of need this foundation base. I think it's the worst of the three movies, but mm-hmm. it's like, you know, as a piece, I, I'd keep them. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it as well. I, I dug this one a lot. Uh, and uh, after this, we'll talk about Hatchets Part 2 and 3 only for you. We'll be right back. Hey. They're closed. No, they can't be closed. But indeed they are. It's a big close sign, and it's, you're still not here. All right. It sucks. No, it doesn't suck. It's going to be cool. For you, because you suck. Shut up. What do you want? Uh, we wanted to do a haunted swamp tour. I don't do night tours anymore. I'm not allowed to. Okay, it's just that our... Friends told us that you did one here last year. Can't do night tours anymore. Insurance got too high after what happened. Too bad. Let's roll. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, what happened? Oh, you don't want to know. I so do. Here we go. I had a tour group out in the swamp. Last Halloween, it was the mist of night. Yeah? And there was this kid who looked kind of like you. He got spooked by something in the marsh. He 
I saw two eyes staring at him from the woods. The chilled under his very marrow. They wanted to get off the boat in a hurry. And he had his foot dangling over the edge. He, he fell in? A gator got him? What happened? He slipped. Hit his head right on the roof and sued me for negligence. That cocksucker! That's it? Try your real of all. Excuse me? Two blocks east on Olive Street. But you didn't hear it for me. I have to go tend to my birds. Be careful walking on the sidewalk. Okay, we are back on Late Fees, talking about the Hatchet series. Uh, just before the break, we talked about Hatchet 1 with myself, Dom, Pat, and Eric. Eric had to bounce really quick for some work stuff. So we're going to do this uh, three-man three booth here. I think, I think we'll be good with, with the three-man booth. Don't you guys think? I, think so. yeah, I don't think that uh, Hatchet is so complicated that <laughs> we need a fourth person to dissect it. <laughs> I think we, we can manage, fellas. We will need multiple people in two weeks to dissect our next franchise. We'll be, we'll be uh, reviewing. We will be in two weeks reviewing the Saw franchise uh, movies one through four or more if you want to watch more of that. But we're going to be doing it with Girl That's Scary at Girl That's Scary on Twitter. Uh, they're going to be joining us on the show. It's a really, really dope podcast. Uh, two, two of my homegirls on it. Uh, so we're going to give you more, more info on that later on uh, before the episode drops, but definitely make sure you check out your Saw movies. There are a lot of them. They're very, I, I want to see the, I want to see the diagrams of when this took place, what time period, because that was a big thing in Saw. Things didn't take place when you thought they did. And we'll talk about how that's not fair for the viewer. This, but we're going <laughs> to, Hey, that's what you want. Landmark franchise. Landmark franchise. That is going to be my soapbox. How Saw is not fair for any viewer of this movie. If you were to show someone with 2020 eyes all of these movies and the shit they did to you every single time you watch these movies, it is not fair. It is okay. It's it's kind. It might not be fair the first time, but they literally in the third movie pull the same trick basically as the second movie. So that one's kind of on you. Fourth movie. I don't remember. Unforgivable. <laughs> Unforgivable. Okay. We're going to get into Hatchet 2. It dropped in 2010. So it dropped four years after Hatchet 1. How crazy is that for, for an indie movie that had a like kind of minorly like, like a minor budget. It took so long to put out. Well, like, what is like the, were, were people like really clamoring for this? I don't really remember the, you know, Hatchet before. Two uh, I years wasn't ago. online. I mean, I, I actually, you know, I was the, 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 the flagship audience for for hatchet which i think is basically joeblow.com users uh <laughs> i was still i was still like i didn't realize what a douchey site joe blow was when i you know like in 2009 2010 when i was like oh i'm a movies i'm a movies person i buy a lot of dvds uh but for as much as like my biggest memory of hatchet honestly is that it was always prominently featured at best buy when you were going to look at dvds and same thing in video stores and it is weird that now, like, they'd have the next one out a year and a half, two years. I mean, now, if, like, the reason that, that third Apes movie wasn't uh, as well-received as it could have been is because it took them for fucking ever to get it out. But 
the the turnaround being four years on that is insane, especially for like we talked about before the break, what a niche audience or what a niche function it fulfilled for it's the audience that liked it. So I, I'm not informed enough to know what people are saying about it at the time and how in demand it was, but it's surprising that it took so long. I kind of vaguely remember there being like some like word of mouth, like diehard fan buzz on like stuff like in a cool news. I thought this is a movie that like before Kickstarter must've just gotten traction from like those people angrily yeah. commenting under Harry Knowles posts. Yeah, <laughs> a scary way to get a movie funded, but yeah. <laughs> hey, Henry Knowles himself is scary. Let's just this yeah. Clear. That, that motherfucker can't walk. Anyway, uh, the cast isn't he the on, diaper guy? Yeah, he pees himself. Yeah, you know? I remember this. No, yeah. Let's not let's not get too spicy though. Uh, <laughs> the cast on Hatchet Two is wild. So you have Daniel Harris who takes over uh, for for Mary Beth Dunstan. She was recast in this movie. I think. Like Dom said before the break, perfect recasting. I can't imagine anyone else but her doing this role now. Yeah. She completely took takes this role. And over. it does the same thing that like it's a more permanent version of Robert England and Tony Todd being in your movies. It's mm-hmm. she is she she's an incredibly unique figure in the horror world. So, you know, having her take over this franchise, again, it, it makes it kind of legitimate. Yeah, you, you also have Tom Holland's in this movie. You have Sean Ashmore and Emma Bell uh, kind of making their own appearances, like which are like, what the fuck? Well, Emma Bell, is, isn't she? I think she's, re, um, she's her character from Frozen in this movie, I believe. I think I, so. I, so uh, and, Ash, and does, this, are, The Ashmores are twins, aren't they? Sean Ashmore. they're and, actually twins. I thought one of them was older. Okay, that one, they look like identical look twins. Identical, yeah. Hold on, let me let me look this up. Are they are they twins? One was Iceman, and then one was on like. Well, he, well one is Lamplighter. Yeah, one is Lamplighter, yeah. and the other the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sean is is yeah. He's he's Aaron Ashmore is uh is is he Iceman? No, he's Jimmy Olsen. Iceman. Yeah. Sean, yeah. Sean was Iceman. His brother was Jimmy Olsen. That's what I remember the match. The easiest way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. One is Iceman, one is a loser. Um, and then you, <laughs> but you know, this movie again had a lot of controversy going into it. Uh, it was actually rated X uh, for, for a while, rated NC-17. Adam Green has a very long story history with the NPAA, with this movie in, in particular, with them promising him an, un, an uncut version and them taking it back at the last minute and saying, we can't release this anywhere because it is way too violent. So there's actually an uncut version of this movie that is fucking wild. And there's a theatrical version, which is a little bit shorter, but I think the for, for, R-rated one is the one on uh, Amazon. Is on Amazon. So I I did rewatch the R-rated version. There are it's very, violent enough. It's violent. <laughs> I think I watched the uncut version of this and the uncut version of three. Uh, Holy shit! And I, so I don't know how different. I mean, they're 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 both like you know under ninety minutes. But um, I remember the kill in this that made me realize it was like an unrated movie was. I don't, I don't know if this is in, in the regular theatrical one, but when the guy's like fucking the chick in the woods yes. and then he gets his head chopped off and, and his body him. just starts spasming. I just remember thinking like, yeah, this is a perfect movie. Like, I just, like for me, it's like <laughs> such a stupid scene, but knowing that someone like storyboarded that out, it was like talking to his DP, like, okay. And then I want the head to cut off and him to just start fucking her harder. Like the fact that that was a conversation on the movie set. I'm like, yeah, no, I support this. This is, if you're going to be making low budget, 
you know, like fan uh, service horror movies, like that's the type of shit you should have, especially yeah. as an antidote to like logs falling on trucks in Final Destination or like people, I don't know, fucking bear traps and stuff in the Saw movies. You know what I mean? Like it really, really <laughs> separates this movie from the movies. Uh, 136 gallons of fake blood made this the movie. blood mist the misty blood spray in this franchise and blood splattering against trees was just absolutely insane so anime uh but the the movie itself takes place literally immediately after the first one ends with uh mary beth being attacked by victor crowley but she escapes the drunk from the first movie jack cracker finds her uh in, in a, a bit of an allusion to halloween five when michael mars falls through the through the floor the, through the ground and then he gets found by a, by a hobo, a little bit of an allusion to that. Uh, she gets found and essentially they'll pull you into uh, what we alluded to a little bit earlier, a deeper connection uh, to Victor Crowley in this movie, to the, the, the citizens of the, of the city. And to me, I don't know if I was a big fan of that. <laughs> and I, I think again, like the mythos building of, of Victor Crowley takes a while for it to kind of congeal for me. But and and never been, really does. Like, the rules of it are never really established. Well, because we don't really know what his rules are. Like, yeah. they, because they, they tell you what the rule is in, in part two, and then they can immediately go back on it in part three. Yeah. Well, I think, too, is, like, uh, a lot of these movies usually have, like, one lone expert character who knows mm-hmm. the mythology of the killer and explains it to everybody else, and that person just shows up and gives you, like, the Dungeons & Dragons, like, rule set of how how everything works yeah and in both two and three those people are like i think wrong because I, I mean I, if, they, if they kept making these it's like because in two it's like one person tony todd's character is like oh i think it's this i think if he kills the people who are responsible for his you know him die his dad dying then he'll die and then that doesn't work and then in the third one the lady shows up and says, no no you have to do this thing with his dad's ashes and like that works into that movie but i I don't know if like if they kept making them successfully, if every movie would have a new person go, actually, here's how to kill Victor Crowley, and then yeah. it's just not working, and that's how you keep the movies going. But that's that's a real weird way to make world building. It's like really yeah, it, Well, in and, other movies, and, they don't give you a concrete formula to kill the person. They just kind of like usually they just stop Jason and then he gets hit with lightning and comes back to life. Like they don't like yeah. who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. So But here movie, it's it's so involved, you know? Yeah. This movie actually gives Tony Todd a lot to do. Uh, Reverend Zombie is front and center for a good part of this movie as Mary Beth kind of figures out the the connection to where we figure out. He's the second lead. Yeah, he is. Uh, I told told the guys this before the the podcast, but uh, having just watched House of a Thousand Corpses, which has (laughs) Dr. Satan, and then this, which has Reverend Zombie. I can't keep him straight. It's absolutely insane. I keep saying Professor Voodoo to myself. <laughs> so we learn in this movie that Mary Beth's father is one of the boys that was responsible for the fire that killed Victor Crowley. Because of course he was. And also says that Victor's father, <laughs> this, is, this is where it gets wild, uh, had, had the, his, he had an affair with a woman and his dying wife put a curse on the baby, which is why Victor looks the way that he looks and he was cursed forever. So that is Victor's curse is that he can't die because of the, because of the, like, it was it's some type of weird, like, sins of the father type shit, like, hating type shit because you, it wasn't your baby type thing. Yeah. But that is essentially, I, that's a Cliff Notes version of the Victor Crowley legend. And so we learn how to kill him, you know, who he is and, and all of that. 
and, and again, I think this movie and, and what it kind of separates from two to three to me is that two still kind of meanders a little bit in the, in the first yeah. act. M- meanwhile, like three kind of gets to it and it, it's wild and it's crazy. And it's almost like shot completely different than this. Uh, what'd you guys feel about the pacing of part two? It's kind of like, it kind of stumbles out of the gate a little bit for me in that like it goes to establish this team uh, of like guys who are going out to like, you know, for this hunt and then like they doesn't really establish good characters for any of them and then they all die but i did like the like otherwise like the the tony todd stuff i did like in the first act that he was like this i mean obviously he's gonna be evil it's tony todd but like knowing that like oh he's like got this scheme going and like seeing his shop and everybody coming to his shop i like that type of thing it was the characters themselves i thought were not uh very good yeah. Well, yeah, that, the entire sequence is essentially setting up the whole new cast of people who are going to get killed. But I think Green uses it to just get cameos in. Like, Lloyd Kaufman is one of the people in the room and stuff. It's, like, yeah. it's cute. It's cute, but it's like, this is going to be the whole movie. Like, establishing yeah. <laughs> who people are, what their stories are and stuff. Like, figure it out. Um, I do like a lot the establishing the the cliffhanger, like, structure of the movie. Like, I, I, I think you're right that movies that are shot across years, but take place over a couple of days are just great. Like the entire John Wick franchise taking place in, in under a week. And it's just yeah. the years of this man. <laughs> just running. It makes it so much more fun to me, I think. And, uh, but yeah, it takes a little bit to, to get to like the good shit. And I, I also, I just want to touch on the fact that like his, his new updated origin involving the, the cursing of the, 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 uh, the cheating child or whatever has like some real awkward, heavy anti-race mixing vibes. It's very odd. The, mm-hmm. Because the nurse that he, he cheats on his wife with is black. And it's, it's black. just like, she just pops up and like curses this like mulatto baby or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember thinking like, of, it, to me, like it, it's super stupid, but I thought, wow, your retcon is that like Victor Crowley is also like part black. Like that's, you just threw that yeah. in there. Yeah. But no, like nothing, nothing to explain. Th- think about what was going on then, though. We had Obama yeah. in office. <laughs> we had a lot of shit going. You really think we gotta, we gotta make this more inclusive, man? We have the representation. I think Victor Crowley is black. I think he. Yeah. Uh, and, and, so and, 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 I mean, knowing that the Kane Hodder, who like the, the, the white half is the evil half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and having Kane Hodder play them is just kind of like. Okay, sure. Like, uh, yeah, but like having him like tongue down this black chick, I was just like, I was like, this just doesn't seem correct from what I know. Okay, like, and then he plays the son of those characters. (laughs) (laughs) Really weird. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's a really good point. I never thought of that, but then I think like now, 2010, this was like. It was the year that it was like, we, we thought things were safe. We thought things was cool. Everything was all right. Like people were taking stands on being more, or at least attempting to be more equal. Like think about now we're in 2020. This is 10 years ago. Yeah. People were trying to be like, well, back then and trying to, you know, call for equality back then. Like, I'm pretty sure. Not, not really, so much. Not, not so much, but like, he was at least trying to say that these are the types of relationships that we, that, that horror movies don't have. You know, yeah. more, more more often than not, you're you're not gonna see that. You're, yeah, you're gonna see. It was surprising immediately to see it. Like, oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, 
Victor Crowley's black. I completely forgot that he was black. But Victor Crowley <laughs> is, is black, so <laughs> because the next time you see him, he's like like red. So <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's he looks like one of those old like Starburst commercials, like when they like blow up their faces and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so when when we finally get to or, and another thing we should bring up is that Perry Shin's character of Justin. Uh, I love this. He returns. So he is an identical twin of the Bolt Tour guy from the first movie who had three different accents. He was not only Louisiana, he had a, a Chinese accent and then he had a, then he was like, I had a regular guy accent. He brings him back uh, and, and his character of Justin actually does survive throughout the whole series here. Yeah. But he's trying to find the truth about what happened to Is he? He's in Victor in Crowley, movie. isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah, but in Victor Crowley, he's the character from the third one, I think. Yeah, he's the character from yeah, the third okay. one. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he dies so, in this uh, one, too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he dies three times across this movie. Yeah. One of the best gags to me uh, throughout, the, throughout this entire franchise is Perry Shin coming back. And, and I, I do enjoy him. He's, he's actually really underrated to me. I enjoy him and his voice work. I he's, and he, it's Shin a little bit like Scream, since... too. Like him coming back in these other roles, like just him returning. Like he's not in Scream. But like him returning like this, like feels like that. Like it's like almost Randy? like something. Yeah, it would be like Ray, in uh, videotape and scream. What's the? Uh, what's the? It, it almost feels like a uh, not another teen movie gag or something, or like whatever the fucking uh, horror like version of those. Or whatever, yeah. There's and, another you, one. Yeah, yeah. What's what's the temperature on Scream Five? Speaking of which, like, what what do you guys feel about it? Oh, I'm hyped. I mean, yeah. I mean, I like Ready or Not. The, like that, those are the guys who I think are yeah. doing it. Um, I wish that Williamson was coming back to write it. It's actually being written by uh, James Vanderbilt, who wrote Zodiac, but he also wrote uh, the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Uh, so it's like a real, like that's like that's a really weird pedigree to have. Uh, yeah, those two being like your biggest, like what Basic, the John McTiernan movie. He also more recently wrote uh, the Adam Sandler murder mystery movie. So he's like a guy who oh. likes the whodunit style. Yeah. You know, so like that could be good, but I don't, that's shout the out to Murder Mystery. About. Way, way, way better than Hubie Halloween. Hubie Halloween. That's <laughs> why I thought Hubie Halloween might be good was because of Murder Mystery. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, I, I think Nev Campbell. Uh, she, she looks great. <laughs> you know, and I'm, glad, I'm, I'm glad she's back. I'm glad she's back in the movie. Uh, I can't wait for Scream Five, but we're we're on Victor Crowley now. Uh, really, really crazy as kills in this movie the belt sander that was pretty kill. good yeah come on guys <laughs> that's the, what that's up there the tony todd kill is the craziest one that's so, describe, describe the one. describe the tony todd kill okay so uh it's so simple i don't want to make it sound worse or dumber than it is so basically tony todd gets cut in half uh, very slowly. All these movies have a great moment where somebody decides like, fuck it, I'm just going to wrestle Victor Crowley. Uh, and the person always immediately gets totally goat fucked. And so he runs up to Victor Crowley. He's got to be 60 in this movie, at least. Uh, runs up to Crowley, starts choking him to death. And while he's choking him, Crowley takes the hatchet and slowly chops him in half. So at this point, Tony Todd is bisected and laying on the ground and he's very unhappy. Victor Crowley grabs him by the top of his head and the base of his spine, which is sticking out of the bottom part of his body. And you're like, oh, he's going to rip his head off. And it looks like he's going to rip his head off. And then he keeps pulling and pulling. And then he rips and he's holding 
the skin from the entire upper half of Tony Todd's body. And Tony Todd, just like his muscle body, as though he's like a diagram in a science book. And then in a hilarious moment, he just throws him into a bush. Like he's still a little <laughs> bit alive and he just tosses him into a bush. Maybe the craziest and funniest death of the series. He and literally you... tears the black off of Tony Todd. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it just keeps him. <laughs> But then he actually, he's not done yet, right? He, he's, uh, he, he, he does come back though, right? I don't think so. I think that's no, the No, 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 you're right. Him. You're right. You, you, he, he does it. He does it. He does it. Because he does try, he, he turns on them. That's what I, I was getting confused. He turns yeah, on yeah. them and he tries to get Mary Beth killed because killing her will stop. Will, there's so many ways to stop this guy, yeah. this movie. This, just, this is one of the a third act plot to stop him is killing Mary Beth. Uh, but the way this ends is Mary Beth shoots him with uh, a shotgun in the head his head is no more <laughs> there is no more victor crowley this is it i was like yo how is there two more of these movies she just fucking beheaded him and she screams and the movie's over so let, let's just go right into hatchet three but before we do that dom i know you dug hatchet three a lot uh, are you you're gonna keep it in the movie? Are you gonna keep it in the video? I'm definitely gonna keep two, it in. Yeah, I, I I I prefer two to one because even though it still manages a little bit, the kills are so much better. The overall vibe is so much better. Daniel Harris is so much better. Like it's a huge improvement to me. I'd keep it. What about you, Pat? I keep them for the same reason Dom mentioned earlier. Just like the set is, uh, I, I like to keep the whole set of something. And I would I'll I would think it. three is the best one. So I I don't want to I don't want to leave two out. It right. two will uh, limp in. I'll keep two, even though it's my least favorite of the two. There's something about one that just really endears me. I don't know about. I don't know. It's it just the the Marilyn Manson intro. It just. I, I just <laughs> it's I had to keep so it stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid. I gotta keep it, but I'll keep two, even if it is technically my least favorite. Now, Hatchet Three. All right, directed by B.J. McDonald, completely different. Uh, completely different director, completely different. I don't think he's directed anything else really either. I couldn't no, even find he anything else. Got, on the it. guy doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. I think he was one of the crew members on. Yeah, uh, I think it was like a camera operator or something. Yeah, he was a camera operator on the first two, and it's so funny to see this movie. And you could tell, like, I felt like when I watched this movie, this was him saying, "This is what this shit should have looked like." <laughs> because yeah, it, it looked Hatchet, even like budget. Forget the budget; just the actual shooting of the movie looked a lot mm -hmm. better in this one. Lo looks really, really great. The cast. I mean, you got Zach. Galligan in the movie. You got Caroline Williams in the movie. Derek Mears is in the movie. Uh, I love Mears. Mears is so good. He's good. And once again, another homage to uh, Jason's. Uh, Derek Mears played Jason in the 2009 uh, Friday 13th remake. This came out in 2011. So showing like really early tribute to that guy. He had literally was like two years yeah. removed from that role, uh, and he was already in Hatchet Three. Um, I think everything about it, you know, from the top to the bottom is just really well done in Hatchet 3. It's, it's my favorite one. It, it's the one that, and I think I said in my review, it feels like a real movie that probably would have shown up in the theaters. And, and it's funny, it's kind of fucked up to say that, but it really is because of how it looks. Well, it's also, it feels like the one that solidifies what makes it work. You know, like, uh, like the Friday the 13th franchise doesn't really like get going for a couple of movies and then it gets mm -hmm. that longevity and yeah. watching Hatchet 3 I remember thinking like you could make four more of these now like now that you've really really figured out what makes it work you can you could I mean you could keep doing it if you had the money and clearly they didn't uh, but it's also the one that ca like uh, 2 really does the you know the cliffhanger thing really well but this one does it so much more perfectly because of how it just hits the ground running and it, it turns Daniel Harris's final girl into like this, like Linda Hamilton style, 
badass. Like the entire yeah. her being like in the cell, like being hosed down, like naked in the shower and stuff. It's just so like it makes her this like really like rough and tumble character. Uh, Zach Galligan or whatever having aged into looking like a less fat Brett Ratner really makes his <laughs> character more easy and terrible. You know, like. Oh, we just got to touch briefly on the fact that, like, they up the, oh, she blew his head off with, of course, he just stands up and he looks like, oh, you know, he's got phalanges for a face. But yeah. so then they're like, oh, we'll just actually cut him in half with a chainsaw and not the way that where he could crawl around right down the middle. Like, he's dead for <laughs> sure. So that establishes basically, like, once they put him in the body bag, he literally, like, magically, like, like sucks but- back together. But I thought that was cool because again, it pays tribute. It, it, it pays tribute to to what we learned from the first movie, but also brings up more questions as to why this happened. Yeah, and I think that's. But it does that actually make it clear that he can't like. Oh, he literally will just keep coming back. Like yeah, it's not. It, they don't need a reason, I guess. And uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, Pat. Not to not to interrupt. Nancy Pelosi oh. said that they're going to be talking the 25th amendment right now. Right now. Yeah, they're going to be talking about it. They're worried about his health. Oh, that's really fucking funny. They're just trying they're just trying to undermine him like he's just going to be so mad these last 2 weeks. Like he's yeah. he's literally just going to fucking crack like an egg. He's it's so over. it's, it's fucked so up. It's so fucked up because like it's all falling apart. Literally in the la- like we wanted him to fall apart like this for for years and it's literally you, falling apart literally in the did, last 2 weeks. Did you guys see this shit about the Michigan governor? No. Like a, uh, a, 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 a some militia was like gonna had a plot to kidnap the governor, and the FBI arrested like five people today. And in April, Trump tweeted, "Liberate Michigan." Yep. So Antifa's the problem. <laughs> okay. Antifa. Uh, sorry. Uh, uh, I'll start on a. I'll start at the story. Yeah. So we get back to Mary Beth, who is now, they, they play the, I, I, don't, I think they did this in like Friday the 13th part six, where the main character is suspected of murder. And Zach Galligan's character yeah. is like, she murdered all these people. I'm just like, and I think even a couple of characters are even like, there's no way she could have done this. Like, look at her. She cannot have killed all these people like this. But essentially it, it becomes like the, the main story here. And I think to me, the, the script and plot of the movie is so much better and flows so much better because it is now a mystery of like Mary Beth is in, in dire danger of, of being put in prison or put in jail or whatever. She actually makes it there. But there's characters around it that know the truth. There's characters around it that are trying to find Victor Crowley. And there's actually like a cool narrative around the fact that, yo, like, the Victor Crowley legend is way bigger than we thought and that, that this movie is kind of like encapsulating all of the what the first two movies brought into it. It's got a real uh, James Cameron's Aliens vibe to it. You know what I mean? Like you have like the survivor yeah. and you have like the crew of people with guns who are like, we're going to fucking do this. And they're not. Like they're going to get just murdered. And uh, <laughs> it makes you so excited. Like I, 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 really, I really firmly believe that in horror movies like this, it is really important to create characters that are uniquely hateable so yeah. that when they get torn in half, you don't feel weird or conflicted. Like yeah. the minute Zach Galligan showed up, all of my love for gremlins went out the window. And I was like, I just want to see this guy die. <laughs> when the lady kept nagging her about getting the ashes, I wanted her to die. So it was just I had a running list of like, can't wait for this person to get their head chopped off. Can't wait for this person to get their skin pulled off. And they all did die. They all died really, really well, I thought. So uh, that entire sequence of them hunting him in the woods and shit. And you just know that these people are not set up for this you know what i mean there's not even like any sense that they might do damage or win you know they're all gonna get killed 
and you're just waiting around for the most gore possible. I love it. The, I, I yeah. liked them. I, I think I think that the the ragtag group in, in part two with the weird black dude who was like just weird for no reason. Uh, I thought they were better. That was than like what? That was like this is the black dude in the movie in 2010. That was like it was like you're basically Bodie from The Wire, but really stupid. Yeah, uh, like, <laughs> I, like, that's, I, I I hated him, but I I understood. I mean, we didn't even talk about them because we all understood they were just fire. In this yeah. movie, you actually kind of care. There's there's characters who, who are scared. There's characters who like have arcs. Like, well, not arcs, but they have like for a story. Movie, they have they have a little bit of story here. And I thought that like it's so weird that like Adam Green would have given this up to someone who. To me, now I wouldn't say he has more care for the characters than he does, but he has he has a care for the 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 way these th- types of things flow. Like we have to care about these people. Like I actually like Derek Mears' character because he he was like you know ready to to go in there and, and basically be like yo what the fuck's going on, but then finds out that this is way deeper than his team is is ready for. And he's just like okay, what the, how the fuck do we deal with this? Yeah, it's like it feels like Predator almost. Yeah, Predator vibes for sure. Um, I really so, like the one what there's like this one cop dude I think who's a part of it who is really vocal about like wanting to leave because he's so scared and his his fear slowly turns into just like hatred and derision at at mm-hmm. Crowley. so like when he I think he's the guy that used like the rocket launcher on him yeah like the yeah. entire sequence <laughs> of him just getting fired up and stuff just was so fucking funny to me because I'm like I know this guy's gonna bite it real bad but yeah. like. He was the closest I came to actually rooting for anybody where I was like, other than like, you know, uh, Maribeth Dunstan's character, I was almost like, I kind of want to see this guy get like a good, yeah. get, get, get some damage going. Honestly, it he was, did the guy a favor killing him with the rocket launcher. Like it would have sucked yeah. to have your face slowly impaled on that post. I'd way rather that, get hit with a bomb. That rocket launcher kill was like quake levels of extreme. <laughs> <laughs> it was wild. And again, I have to tip the hat, like, because they every single movie they're stepping it up. Every movie, I think, to this point, yeah. the third movie has some of the most illest effects that we've seen in any of these movies at this mm. point. And Victor Crowley again, the uh, you know splitting him in half and then him coming back together, him getting his own you know comeuppance at the end, but then just giving it ten times worse to other people. To me, is like it's hard to watch at times. Like it, it really is. Like it, this is a hard yeah. movie to watch. If there's, it, it is because it has like the torture porn violence a little bit. Like they're really grisly movies. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, again, that's part of it, but if, if they're, uh, you know, they're, they're not like, you know, people think like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is going to be violent and like, it's not even violent compared to this. Yeah. Like it's, it's so crazy. I mean, I will, get, say, get, uh, I will say Adam Green's defense with the violence in these movies is like, other movies that are really grisly during the torture porn era have like this real sense of malice behind them. Like they're the kind of movies that when you see the the gore and stuff, it makes you wonder the psychological profile of the director. Like what? Yeah. Like does this guy hate up. women? Yeah, but like in here, I just felt like this guy like clearly just likes like horror movie stuff. It just it's very yeah. clear. It's yeah. just like look, it's like the, the the shots of the blood spraying under the trees <laughs> to me are like just so you know, this is clearly not realistic. You know, and I think that's <laughs> yeah. More, more fun but there are a few spots where you're like ah this is also like gross as fuck it's super it's super super awful like death like even when we get to check off belt sander which just like kind of appears out of his pants every single yeah. time he has it but like, where the fuck is he powering this shit up at like even then it's just like this is a fucking cartoon i'm loving it but the, these are like to your point dom these are created to be crowd pleasing movies like imagine watching hatchet three 
in the theater with a bunch of people that like some people might know what's about to happen next but some people don't mm. this is a complete shock to them they're waiting for the kills and it kind of takes the the like the the stance that i really like hate it in like these types of horror movies in the mid 2000s where we had to care about the killer we had to care about his story we had to care not only about care about him but care about the people that he's killing and it's somehow there no one was bad in these movies because everyone was on, on on the same ground and hatchet yeah. it just blows that away yeah, and that's the worst thing about Rob Zombie's Halloween is like, yeah. dude, I don't fucking care that like Rob, <laughs> that Michael Myers' dad called him gay or something. Like, I don't, I don't like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't, no one watched Halloween and was like, I wonder what his story is. What's his deal? Yeah. What's, the, what's, what's his trauma? I want to know more about that guy. <laughs> what is this shit? Like, yeah. The only, like, the, oh, the guy the, in the weird mask stabbing people? I wonder how he feels inside. And it's funny because, like, you know, Victor Crowley's trauma is largely done to him before he's even aware of what it is. So, like, you know, when he's out, like, it's, it's literally like, okay, he was picked on, but he's been cursed all his life. Like, it, it, he's had it way worse. Like, yeah, yeah. he was even born, born a fucking basket case monster. And he has no choice but to be compelled to just kill people. That makes way more sense to me in a movie than, like, let's spend 45 minutes reading the, uh, like, the social worker case file on this killer and like checking out all the you know his like tests and stuff how he kills cats or who fucking cares dude like this yeah. isn't like this isn't an episode of mind hunter you know what i mean it's just this is yeah. just to do with a knife it's to do with a knife and a mask that's what this is <laughs> so uh the the big hook here is finding victor crowley's father's ashes and at the end of the movie uh after mary beth gets some gnarly shit done to her from Victor Crowley, like just to the point of killing her. She hits him with the ashes. Oh, wait, time, to I got to call time. I got to call time out because we have to mention that he does once again drag a veteran into <laughs> one of these movies. We got everybody's favorite, Sid Haig, appearing as the yes. very racist uh, cousin. Oh, how could I yeah. forget uh, this? How did I forget this? <laughs> it's very, uh, it's, he's, he's quite, he's quite racist. Uh, he's racist, he still lets him in his house. He's, he, he's the, so racism, the racism seems performative. Like, it's almost Green going like, yeah, I mean, I know people are racist like this, but I, I, I kind of want you to like this guy anyway. Uh, <laughs> and it's so weird because Sid Haig, like, is mostly famous or is largely famous for being in black exploitation movies. Like, that's why he's... A, a horror veteran so it's really weird to have him playing now like this racist old man yeah it it, it was completely again like there's always these like ir irreverent uh moments in hatchet this to me seemed a bit more like what what comment was he really trying to make with this character you know it's like okay we know he's gonna die like i guess that was the that was what we we're supposed to do but i yeah. was just like you know, the, the road to get there is, is very rocky. Like, I, don't, I, I don't know if you should have did that. I think a lot of it is like, oh, I don't quite, like, I want to put this in the movie, but, like, I, I don't quite know how to do it. And, like, then the way I end up doing it is, like, uninformed and offensive. Uh, and, like, I think well, I'm like, being, like, the fun guy at the party, but it's really weird. It's trying to create an easy antagonism between him, Sid Higgs' character, and the cops trying to come the get the, the cops trying to get the ashes. And it's like, well, he's black. He can just be racist. Like, he just probably doesn't like black people. Yeah. But Sid Higg doesn't put any oomph into it. Like, he's just kind of yeah. like, ah, well. Uh, <laughs> he's reading the lines. He's just yeah, reading he's the lines. Like, <laughs> like, I think that's how racists. I don't know that many yeah. of my friends are all inclusive. You know, just, yeah, uh, and it, it's weird because, again, the cop actually has to show him humility and show him grace throughout this and doesn't push back on any of it at all. It's just like, I got to get out of here. It's just like, why are you running? You're a cop. Like, what, why are you yeah, that, out there? It's weird having, like, the main black person in this movie be a cop who is, like, 
so used to racism that he's not even bothered by it. He's just kind of yeah. like, yeah, okay, like. He's yeah, very, it's New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, well, like when they first need him to look, when the, the expert lady is yelling him about getting her out of the cage, out of the, the cell and stuff, and he's just like torn. And he seems like the most yeah. normal everyman movie in, person in the movie. Yeah. He's bothered by a supernatural monster being around. He's just kind of along for the ride. And uh, I thought that was like a, a weird, a weird decision for that character. He got a mercifully quick death at least. Yeah, I was like, oh, he's he's a nice guy. We're, we're not not good enough, but even then, he didn't even get a good enough death. He didn't even get a good enough death for the Just, for the shit that he was saying. Victor Crowley's black. Oh, I, I meant I meant the cop. <laughs> oh, oh, the cop. Yeah, the cop. Oh, yeah, the cop. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, hey, no. Kill is not that great. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so as I was saying, uh, that's the name of the episode. Victor Crowley's yeah. black. Uh, <laughs> so uh, he 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 melts, which leads uh, which leads Mary Beth to pretty much shoot up his remains. Uh, and you know, she, you know, we leave the movie with us wondering whether or not, uh, Mary Beth is going to live or die. And that is the end of, uh, Hatchet 3. Of course we, we do have Victor Crowley, which came out in 2017. This was not a direct continuation of Hatchet 3, but really like a side story in, in a lot of ways of Victor Crowley returning. And Cause it doesn't take place over the same like day. No. Like it's not part of that three day or dead two day period. No. But Mary Beth, it does show up at the end of Victor Crowley and the Stinger, and there is rumors that Patchett Four is very imminent. Uh, he yeah. never announces when these. They honest, he should just up. say fuck it and call it Hatchet Five because if he calls it Hatchet, like if you have one, two, three, Victor Crowley and Four, you got like even if the one's not called Four, just it's the fifth Hatchet movie, just call it Hatchet Five. I think he well he says it is a sequel to, to, to Hatchet 3, so it probably will be Hatchet 5. I just think, to me, I'm, I'm all for numbered movies continuing the numbered. It's like WrestleMania. It's still 38 to me. Yeah, like, it's, I it's don't... Still gonna, yeah. Play button. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> WrestleMania star, like, <laughs> WrestleMania Hollywood. Like, this, it's all the same shit. But uh, Hatchet 3, our, our final thoughts here, uh, are we going to keep it in the video store? I'll start with Dom. Oh, for sure. Yeah, uh, totally. It, it's odd to me to see a movie where, like, a franchise finally gets it perfectly right and should then propel to keep going and then, like, just does it because of, like, financial realities in Hollywood. That kind of sucks. Yeah. yeah. I said the same thing. Uh, it is, you know, I the the Friday the 13th uh, Shout Factory uh, Blu-ray set just arrived yesterday, and I'm looking at it like, oh, the most excited is, like, to get to the Tommy Jarvis trilogy of these, like, nine movies, which is smack dab in the middle of them. And, like, even though but largely the movies are, like, you know, there's only a few where I'm like, oh, this is genuinely good, but I enjoy watching them regardless. Uh, but it's, you know, kind of, it's like what I was saying, it's weird to see the beginning of the stride and then like they kind of go away. So yeah. I'm, I, I haven't seen, I haven't watched Victor Crowley yet, but I think it's also on Prime. Uh, I will probably will just because I'm a completist. Uh, I watched AVP Requiem, even though we weren't talking about it on that episode. So I'll do what I got to do. I, I didn't enjoy it that much, but I do think it's important to see. It's way cheaper than Hatchet 3 is. It is, you're in one place for the whole movie. They're, they're in a plane for the whole okay. movie. A crashed plane for the whole yeah. movie. That is, that is the set. There is nothing else there. It is. It's, it's Green's back for it, right? Yes, he's back for that. I would say you, sh- you should watch the uh, Joe Bob version of this with Adam okay. Green's commentary. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And isn't Kane Hodder on it too? Yes, watch the yeah. watch the Joe watch the Joe Bob um uh the the drive in uh 
you know, watch that version of it. Yeah, it's yeah. Way better than just watching it straight up and being upset. Yeah. Uh, but that is our <laughs> that is our uh, episode of Late Fees on the Hatchet series. Got a perfect three for three, other than Eric. Uh, on every single <laughs> movie in this franchise. Very rare in these franchise episodes. We're going to see if we can repeat this magic for Saw franchise in two weeks. It's one through host, four? One through four, officially. Okay. And then you, we're going to, we can, we can run through however we want to. We're, we're going to go crazy on it. It's Halloween. We're going to get spooky. We're going to talk I, about I love Saw. We can talk about Jigsaw if you want to. We can talk about the, uh, we can talk about Spiral also, which, you know, was supposed to release this year and, and it looks kind the of The saboteurs. Too. So Damn fucking COVID. mad about that. F- mm. Fucked it up. Fucked it all up. But until uh, next time. The Book time, of Saw. <laughs> thank you guys for listening to Late Fees. Please subscribe to us at the RNC Watch channel. Uh, Dom, uh, you got any new movies coming up on Armchair All Tour this week? Anything uh, we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. I've got, I, I started a series called Dark Able Presents where I like highlight underrated black movies. And I've got the second episode of that coming out this weekend. And then some other like spooky shit. I'm do- I'm also doing all horror movie stuff all month, so uh, lots of lots of scary shit coming to the channel. So subscribe and stuff. Got to got to watch uh, Vampires in Brooklyn or Vampires pr- from Booker Brooklyn. I don't know which Vampires versus the Bronx. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Versus the Bronx. <laughs> Vampire in Brooklyn's actually tight. That movie's great. Uh, That's gonna that be on one of my list. grand finale movies for this month. I'm gonna put that on my list. Surprisingly violent movie. Vampire in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Bloody okay, nice, yeah. nice. So, so surprisingly violent. Uh, so yeah, make sure you check out Dom on YouTube, Armchair All Tour. Uh, Pat, you have nothing, absolutely nothing to shill, so I'm not going to ask you. I got at nothing. All. It's fine. So, uh, just, just, just myself. <laughs> so until uh, we'll see you guys in two weeks. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, and until then, the video store slash drive-in is closed. Bye. Sing along, everything has been said before.